All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the pod. My name is Elias Techley, and I'm once again joined here with my friend, Rian. Rian, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. I'm doing all right, Elias. Uh, How's uh, work doing? Work's, work's going all right. Work's coming basically to the end. I think this is probably going to be my last week working at the working with my summer job. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they pretty much don't need me at all anymore so are you are you being replaced by ai or something uh we all will be replaced by ai very soon (laughs) that's that's ai is like death dude it's coming for all of us so um yeah but yeah i've heard elon musk talk about that for a while so i'm yeah yeah dude i i've i've been on a bit of a binge listening to uh economist um podcast yeah yeah this i keep i can't forget I don't remember the norm that let's do, but basically it's like, it's basically like, uh, vice if it had a podcast <laughs> like, and, oh and I'm just might be, I just might be like crazy or, or not even crazy. Maybe just not cultured in the fact that I'm now realizing that basically vice is just the economist and <laughs> vice is basically just the economist on youtube like and, and like in visual form that's basically it. like the stories that they talk about on this podcast is like yeah basically i'm like wow this is basically like something i feel like i would have seen on vice at any point in the last five years <laughs> so oh my god yeah well i haven't i haven't read too much of the economist recently almost oh i don't read it at reason. all i don't read oh i don't oh, even better yeah <laughs> this is why you're not cultured what <laughs> sorry are you reading you're not helping your case at all i'm trying no, to help you <laughs> no 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 that's too hard <laughs> <laughs> of course i would expect nothing less from an ivy league graduate <laughs> Man. Anyway, well, enough of uh, the semantics of whether The Economist is or is not equivalent device. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit of the transfer roundup now that the deadline for transfers in England has now um, passed. There are no more transfers coming into England. However, it is important to note that transfers out going out of England are still possible, especially to the other major leagues in Europe. Um, where the other deadlines close on September 2nd. So on today's pod, we're going to be talking about the early deadline in the Premier League and whether or not it's it's a good or a bad thing. Um, Then we'll be talking about a couple of the major transfers that happened towards the end of the transfer window um, this past week, namely Lo Celso, David Luiz, the love of Rian's life, and Harry (laughs) Maguire. And then we'll wrap up with a little bit of talk in La Liga with um, Neymar, and Nabil Fekir coming to Real Betis. So with that, let's get started. Rian, early deadline, cut out all the transfers coming into England just this past week, right before the season started. How do you feel about that? Well, first before that, I'd like to apologize to our listeners for last podcast that may have had some minor technical difficulties. Um, Elias may or may not have uh, not used headphones. You know, we ha- hey, we're all about being transparent here, dude. Who do you think? <laughs> who do you think we are? Friggin' Afcon, dude. No, <laughs> oh, oh, I was gonna go with a common ball, yeah, but yeah, sure, know, I like that. Yeah, either or, honestly, but <laughs> but yes, yes. We're, I mean, we're both at fault, but but just so you know, Ellis is wearing headphones now. He has told me he's wearing headphones, so I, I am no, I'm no longer liable for any technical difficulties. Um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe it was you all along, but sure. Well, I guess we will see. But on, <laughs> but <laughs> with the early deadline, 
Um, I don't know. What is your thoughts? I, I think it's good because I think we're able to enter the season with very little of um, me being interrupted in a broadcast about talk about uh, announcers who are just saying which players are possibly like, trying to leave or which ones, oh, someone might come in for them during the last couple of weeks or something. So it, just on an annoyance level, it's less annoying to listen to like these broadcasters talk about it. But yeah, and then I, and then like I think it also like helps that it prioritizes you know team development during the summer. I like it, you're gonna have a better start to the season if you get your business done early, right? You get a chance to have those guys come in and acclimate, right? Um, yeah, for like sure. That's why we see the best teams do that. Like we see City do every year. City gets their transfers done within the first three to four weeks like the good right. the best teams do that like money talks yeah well obviously money talks but like it's because they're doing all of their scouting and stuff during the season it's i mean they're and basically by time the end of may comes they know which they pretty much know which players that they want for next season and even like liverpool liverpool the same liverpool did the same um season before that you know they got their guys in early like and yeah, like the best teams in the a lot of the best teams in the world do that. So it prioritizes, you know, not just team development over the summer, but it also prioritizes just a good transfer policy, which you know is pretty helpful if you're trying to be successful. Yeah, no, I I mean I generally agree with you, right? Like I think all the points that you were just touching on, I think are exactly what I would would argue. I think an earlier deadline is great for the teams themselves. Um, but I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I, I can see the the flip side of that. And I think Pochettino actually was talking about this the other day um, about the fact that the window closes earlier for England rather than it does for the rest of Europe, because then it becomes a bartering chip for other leagues and other teams. Right. So, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's, let's take Nabil Fakir, who we'll talk about later in the pod. When he decided to come to Real Betis from Lyon, that was probably with, or in the back of Batista's mind was Lo Celso's transfer to Spurs, right? And let's say that Batiste ran into trouble with um, Nabil Fakir's transfer to them from Spain, right? Then all of the leverage is with Real Batiste, right? They don't necessarily have an incentive to sell to Spurs unless Spurs come with an absolutely absurd offer. So if, if they didn't think that they could 100% get Nabil Fakir, then Lo Celso's price automatically goes up by a lot simply because that they know Spurs have to make a decision on, on whether or not they need to actually go forth with the transfer um, or you know if they're actually willing to to take that step. So it, it, it sort of, I, I get the argument that it unfairly balances against teams that aren't in the Premier League. But at the same time, I think focusing all of your attention as a team in England on the team that you have before the season starts is much more important than worrying about a couple mil here and a couple mil there. Um, because at least it allows for team chemistry to develop and it allows for football to to be played the way that the manager in charge intends it to to be played without there having to be a lot of adjustments, you know, four or five weeks into the season. So generally I think it is a good thing, but at the same time, I, I can 
really understand where a lot of managers might have a problem with it. Yeah, so I see. I see what you mean. Like it's it's definitely creates awkward situations for the English teams because what well, everyone else's deadline is the end of August, right? And and just for England, it's the Thursday before the league starts, right? Right. Um, I don't know what I. I do think that definitely. Um, it's not perfect as is because because there's so much of a difference in terms of time frame for the English teams. Um, I wonder, would you prefer that all of the leagues have their deadline be the Thursday before the first of the five big European leagues start, or should we do it every Thursday before the first weekend of every team's league? In an ideal world, if it was the Thursday before the weekend that every major league in Europe starts, you would inherently have to have each league start on the same weekend, which it already does not happen, right? La Liga starts a week after the Premier League, and then Serie A is weeks later. Um, Granted, Liga, I guess they they have their head on straight and decide to start this weekend too, but whatever. They're they're, they're whole other beast. Um, But in in an ideal world, that's what would happen. Um, in reality, I don't think that'll ever happen because you have issues with match days and planning and it's a whole operational nightmare. So what I would prefer to have, I think, would be the Premier League season itself start later, actually, um, yeah. and have the deadlines be somewhere in the middle. So say you have a week or two in between the major league starting, I would prefer it to be in the middle. So the the leverage is sort of balanced out to an equilibrium where Premier League teams say, okay, well, it's not that much later after the the league starts. Sure so we still, oh, <laughs> sure. All right. I don't I'm not sure that. I understand. Yeah. I, I <laughs> <laughs> No, let me, okay. Let me, let me explain before my outro. No, no, I do. No, no, I, I get what you're Okay, go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, but my, my point was going to be then the Premier League can say, okay, well, we aren't being screwed over by other leagues holding out because it's really not that much longer after the league starts. And even if we don't want X, Y, and Z player for an exorbitant amount, then we're okay with what we have because we're already starting off the season. Hey, we're doing okay. You know, there isn't, it's not that big of a deal. At the same time, if, say a La Liga team wants to buy um, a player from England, then they have to turn around and say, well, we need to actually make this deal happen before the season starts because we really don't have that much time. Like a week between the transfer window closing and the league starting is not a lot of time to incorporate a player. So every team sort of has at least somewhat of an incentive to make deals happen, even though leagues don't start on the exact same weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think my one problem that we run into with that is um, if you're having it, I, I, this is my problem with, with uh, I guess what the other leagues are doing in general is, yeah, I don't think you should go into a season, um, start a season and then you have a result, you know, one or two results that don't go very well. And then now you run into the problem again, where, where um, let's say, that the transfer deadline was Wednesday, right? Was this was literally two days from now, right? And Chelsea didn't right. have a transfer ban, right? 
um, RIP. For, yeah, that 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 this this result this weekend now puts them in basically the same position as they might have been like three days ago. Again, if they weren't um, banished from transfers, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, it would put them in the same position of leverage of not having leverage as they would after having a bad result. So I so I think um, I think your point on all the leagues should start the same weekend. I think that's probably, I think the perfect thing is they all start the same weekend and then yeah. we have the transfer deadline the Thursday before, whatever. But um, I just, I just don't like the playing a match or two and then um, like panicking, you know, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I, I think we should reward the teams that get their business done in an efficient manner and also are ready to start the season. Right. So, Yeah. I wish every transfer window was like that where teams didn't hold out or make it really difficult to, for other teams to whatever, pay X amount of money. And I think at the end of the day, we can sit here and and talk about whether or not it's good, but the the people that are going to actually have to make those decisions are in, it's just a lot more difficult for them to, to try and do. And I almost feel for them, but then I realize that they make a boatload of money. So I don't feel, I don't don't feel for them one bit. (laughs) Well, one or a couple of players that were faced with an oncoming transfer deadline window being shut um, were Christian Erickson and Giovanni Lo Celso. With Erickson, I guess, for now, remaining at Tottenham, and Lo Celso being brought into Spurs on the last day of the window being shut. So I know Erickson's definitely been a player that's been talked about leaving Spurs for a while now. Do you, do you see him leaving this window? How do you, how do you see him playing the season if he does stay? Well, I mean, the reports are that he wants to go to Spain. So I'll, I'll have to defer to you a little bit on the viability of any of those teams being able to actually um, make a move for him. But uh, it was always going to be impossible, like almost impossible for, uh, just about anyone in England to be able to make that transfer happen because the price was just going to be unbelievably inflated because it's um, Spurs and like generally Daniel Levy, who's the Spurs owner is a pretty tough negotiator, especially when it comes to um, dealing with like big clubs um, and, you know, big, and big clubs in within their own league. So that would have always been tough. I think, you know, I I don't expect him to be on the team next season. I think there's a chance. Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. I I mean, I don't think it's surprising. He's he's actually like he's on one year left of his contract, so it's not it's not crazy. I don't I don't see Tottenham paying him what one he wants, which is probably to be the highest paid player on the team, right? And uh, is he not already? No, that's, that's Kane. Kane, Kane. Kane is at Kane is at two at okay. I believe around two hundred thousand pounds, and uh, Ericsson's at around seventy five k. Right? What? Yeah. yeah. He yeah. Wow, they really haven't renewed his contract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a um. These Spurs are very good at keeping their players under control, and so they there's a article on the Athletic um that's basically talks about how Spurs renew their players' contracts very, very frequently and at long, like long years. And it just helps to keep them in control for when the player actually gets to, you know, 
the point where um, they might try to leave or, you know, there's they've become very good and there's a chance that they could um, be getting interest from other from other clubs, right? So, like, Deli Ali's signed two different new contracts within 18 months of joining the club, right? Two five-year contracts. Yeah. So that was, like, so, so that's, like, an example of the way that they, once, once you're doing really well, they try to lock you up on a new contract quickly, you know, but only slightly raising your wage and not like paying you what you're actually deserved. But you know, it's right. It's, I think it's, it's just, it's how they do business. It's just very smart. They keep control of their players. Um, no, for sure. It's, it's hard to, to disagree with that. Yeah. So like I said, like I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's on the, t- if he's on the team next season, because I think he's going to demand being the highest paid player on the team. And that's probably, we're starting at probably what 250k 225k at least right a, a month uh, yeah. a week right i mean i would i would oh a month a week, that's a week. like the same thing <laughs> a, week. a week a week yeah but um yeah so i'd be surprised if he's on the team next season um if he leaves on a free he'll be the best player eligible eligible for a free transfer that we've seen in a long time and um yeah you know as we see you know he's a he's He's their creative engine on the entire team. Like we saw from the weekend, he comes on and changes the game completely because he opens up space for all the other midfielders. Because now guys have to come out to him. Also, because he's like deep. I mean, we can get we'll get into this when we when we do a recap of the weekend. But you know, he draws defenders, which opens up space for other midfielders. Is basically the short of it, right? So yeah. So when he's not in the team, there's massive shoes to fill in terms of creativity in their midfield, and um. You know, we'll see if Lo Celso is a player that can replace his production because if he leaves, they're going to need him to be that guy. And I mean, obviously, you have right. more to say on him about that. No, I yeah. So the f- first thing you you talked about um, when we first started talking about Erickson is his desire to leave for Spain. Um, and to my knowledge, the only teams slash team that has legitimately expressed interest in going after Christian Eriksen is Real Madrid. Um, there were reports that Atletico might be a possible destination. Um, I personally don't think that that will happen, nor do I think um, it would be a great signing for Atletico. And I, I say that, you know, hesitantly because Eriksen's such a great player um, yeah. and he offers a lot going forward. You're just talking about um, like the fit in terms, in terms of like the system. Yeah. I just, I, I, I struggle to see where he would fit because between their midfielders now in, in Koke and Saul and um, I'm just thinking, you know, Thomas Lamar and, mm-hmm. and those players that are already, they don't necessarily clog up the midfield, but there are already enough bodies there. Durante, um, right. Yeah, exactly. They ju- they just got him from Real, and so you're thinking, well, where exactly is Erickson going to play? Slash, does he really fit this new playing style that Simeone is trying to instill? Um, and th- the style is they're developing into more of attacking team of you know playing this brand of going forward instead of being the defensive fortress that they've been for the last couple of years. Um, but I, I just don't see after the summer that Atletico have had um, 
Erickson even coming remotely close to, to going to Atletico. Um, they've spent enough money. They're happy with the squad they have, to my knowledge. So I, I'd be very surprised. But Real Madrid is a whole other issue. They they have their host of issues in midfield. They have an aging midfield um, that needs to be revamped. And I think Erickson would fit them really well. Obviously, Pogba's their number one. Um, whether or not that happens this summer is... If I had to put my money money on it, uh, probably not. Well, Erickson's going to Erickson is a less, great right? Super Bowl like... replacement for someone like Modric. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, Erickson would cost a lot less. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying in terms of um, Madrid's ability to also pay for that. And again, we're sort of in this age now where it, it's not like the big clubs in Spain can totally boss around it everyone anymore that's not that's not the yeah, case definitely right? not not the, um, not the teams in england right for sure for sure because the money that the teams in england have now is way more than they did 10 years ago so you can't just see real madrid you know waltzing into a meeting with levy and say hi ericsson is 80 mil we're gonna take him now it, it doesn't work that way anymore um so yeah i don't i don't see ericsson going to spain this summer um but i could see him obviously leaving next summer for for spain and specifically real madrid anyway that totally off topic i want to talk about la celso um because i think this kid does have the potential to be the new christian erickson um and i do think you were talking about production right? yeah. i do think he absolutely has the the skill set to produce more than what erickson has produced so my understanding when i watched spurs last season is that they struggled a lot from connecting lines, right? They had a lot of good players, but between the defensive structure that they had compared to the attacking structure, there was a lack of connection between the two. And, you know, their midfield could do it. Like they had Harry Winks and they had Sissoko who could do it, right? But there are people that just run at defenses or run through a midfield line. They don't don't have the creative ability to to use their feet or use their body to shield the ball and sort of, sort of thing. It's more like, okay, I see a space. I'm going to just go for it. Right. Like, and in Dombele is the same way. He's just better at it. And Dombele yeah. will see a space and run into it. And he has Dombele the technical ability like, he's to get like around the, players. He's like the player that Sissoko thinks he is. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, that's literally it. Yeah. That's exactly what he is. He's just a much better version yeah. of Sissoko. Um, but where I think Lo Celso is different um, from the rest of the midfield, and Erickson is included in this, is that he has the ability to go around players and progress the ball forward, which I think is the biggest thing that Spurs suffered with last season. And at times, Erickson was sort of the guy to drop deeper to collect the ball because there was no connection. And even, I think you kind of saw it in the game this past weekend against Aston Villa, he's once he came on, he was doing a lot of the creative right. movement, right? And deep um, from the deep, from the deep, right. from like a deep lying, um, right? Role. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And where I think Lacelso, you know, this is the sort of characterizes his strengths is that not only has he played in a midfield position, a midfield three, as well as a forward line uh, when he was at Real Betis. Um, he did it under Kike Setien, who is an extremely positional and possession-focused coach. And so he was able to develop a balance uh, or an understanding of a balance of how to go forward, how to go backward and progress the ball each direction. Not This isn't – forget about his work, um, his work rate and his work ethic, which is incredible. When I watched him at the Copa America with Argentina, he was the player that 
I looked at and I said, oh, Barcelona need him because Messi is doing his role in dropping back and collecting the ball right now. But if you had someone like a Lo Celso, you didn't, you don't need a Messi to drop in deep. You you have someone to already do that. Um, so my point is not only can he drop deep in the same way that Ericsson does, and not only can he be the creative force, he can drop deep and progress the ball forward, which I think is something that they they struggled with. And I would love to see a midfield three of Ericsson Lo Celso. Um, or even a four-two-three-one with um, Lacelso in sort of a holding role and Erickson in the in the ten role. Um, but like I said, he I think this kid really has the potential to be one of the best midfielders in the league and easily within a year. Interesting. So, so you think he can play? That he and Erickson don't necessarily they're not very necessarily redundant on this, <clears throat> in the same eleven, right? So you're saying Lacelso can play a little deeper. Yeah, I think I think Lacelso can play deeper, and I also think that he's good at counter pressing. Okay. So when so like when he plays deeper, he progresses the ball forward, right? But when he goes forward and say there's a, a situation where Tottenham lose the ball because every team loses the ball, then he's not one to sprint back to immediately, right? He's the one that's going to try and get the ball back rather than be reactive to it. Um, which I think is important in a player for for a Pochettino team who obviously when you're talking about Mauricio Pochettino, he's one of the most notorious coaches when it comes to work ethic and and putting in the effort yeah. and you know going hundred percent whatever you want to call well. it. Yeah. Um high pressing. Exactly. Exactly. So in that sense, I just think he's a fresher, more energetic um player than Ericsson right now. Um, and I think his ceiling is about at that level. And I, I hope it increases because, God, I need Argentina to win the Copa America <laughs> next summer. I'm going to blow my brains out. Well, I, I think it's interesting. I think if if um, if Ericsson's staying, I mean, I think you have to think of Spurs midfield as, you know, pro- yeah, I would say creatively, it would you would have to say it's better than, than uh, Liverpool's. Just if you're talking of center mids, you know, in in the central sure. area, uh, it's it's a much different midfield than Liverpool's because, like we talked about, Liverpool's midfield is more relied upon in terms of keeping defensive solidity when they have the ball. Like you know, having a right. plan for when they lose the ball, you know, these are the guys that are there to stop you know whatever counterattacks, whatever, right? But um, I think if Ericsson stays, this is a this midfield gets even better, right? Um, it probably becomes like. It's it's if um if Dombele, you know, continues the way that he started in his first game, which and he and we saw he was much better once Erickson came on. Once there was like a creative um, midfielder in that same area, he was much better. Um, if if he For continues sure. on, and you know they have some solidity with Harry Winks, um, and they have Erickson and Lascel, so that's a really that's that's a midfield that is not as good as Man City's, um, but you know I'd put it like definitely on the same level. I, I, creatively, I think it would be better than Liverpool's, and then you know in the same area, a, st- a tier below City's, pretty much. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it would definitely be up there with Liverpool's. Um, I think it'd be a little more dynamic, just because they have a little yeah, bit more I think energy. Yeah, it'd be more dynamic um, for sure. 
Yeah, but I, I would I would absolutely rate that that midfield um, in the same tier as Liverpool's. Um, definitely not cities because cities I think is yeah like, tier below a yeah thing, tier but below, yeah I no I, I agree right right well I think we both kind of agree that Lacelso is a good signing for Spurs and I wish him the best for both Spurs and more than definitely for Argentina um, so good luck to you Giovanni Lacelso and with that we're going to take our first break and we'll be back with some news on Arsenal and Manchester United. We are back with Rion here, and we are going to be talking about David Luiz and Nicolas Pepe to the Gunners. Now, I just want to to point out um, my sincerest condolences, Rion, for uh, your heavy loss this last week. I know I know it was tough to let go of a club legend, someone you loved and and truly just admired to see put in two footed tackles. Um, loose long balls that go out for throw-ins and uh, wild free kicks that may or may not break children's arms. But uh, once again, my deepest condolences on losing David Luiz. I mean, I don't know. What's there to say about a man who won two Premier League titles, two FA Cups, two Europa League titles? I mean, the best hair in the league by far and just just such an asshole and just great. <laughs> just, just <laughs> he he was so flawed um in whenever, so many ways whenever whenever the ball was in midfield and he would just run 10 <laughs> to 15 yards away from the rest of his back line to try and go make a tackle you would contemplate what does life even mean sometimes? But outside of all that, he couldn't do anything wrong enough for me to, to be upset, to me to be really upset at him. Um, he like literally, he is a legend. He is legitimately a legend. Um, he, like I said, his, his trophies speak for themselves. Like he's on, he was on a couple of like the weird Chelsea teams, but also like, on like the most six, pretty much the most legendary Chelsea team ever, <laughs> the one that won yeah. the the, the uh, Champions League final. He was a started. He was starting in that game. He started in all three of their um, in the last three European Cups that they've won. You know, the two Europa League finals and the Champions League final. So yeah, wow. I I, I mean, you kind of put starting center back, but yeah. starting center back in all of the in all those games. Um, so you know, it, it's. It is tough to see him go, especially to Arsenal. But um, from what I understand, Lampard did not uh, promise him that he was going to be starting consistently, basically, which is completely fair because, I mean, like we said, he's on he was on the team for great times and not so great times, <laughs> and you know, he has flaws. He's very deeply flawed. I. I Don't think he's not <laughs> I think he's not um I think he's not very well suited to play in a back four. I, I think that's what we've learned from his time with Chelsea. His best season was under Antonio Conte. Um 
the first season when they went to the back three and he had cover on his left and his right with um, Espilicueta and uh, Cahill playing on the left and right side as center backs for him in a back three. He's great because then he has all that cover. Now he has more freedom to uh, step into the midfield, which, you know, still not a great idea, even with <laughs> three center backs, but he had cover more, most of the time. Um, also, you know, in um, in Golo uh, Conte also helped with that, but um from that role, also his passing, which, you know, he's one of the best center back passers in the league for like easily. He's got to be top five, I think, in that. Um, and from that area, that was really um, good for exploiting those strengths, you know, playing with back three. He was able to ping balls from the center out to um, left and right, especially to the wing backs. So I think he's best suited in a back three. Um I think Arsenal needed, you know, bodies that they could trust in their back line. Whether they switch to a back three, I doubt it. But um, I think they needed a player of his experience and quality who will step in. And he he's absolutely going to start for them as soon as he's, like, fit and ready to play, which would probably be next week. But, like, I can't see how he's not at least – until he, um, it's until he shows massive weaknesses, his weakness, like just consistently. Uh, <laughs> so, least, so you're saying he'll show it at some point. Oh, he'll show it for sure. He'll show it in the first <laughs> game. A hundred percent. He'll show it. He'll go, he'll go in to a, an open field tackle him and one other guy. And, you know, for no reason at all, jump in with two feet. And and somehow still miss the ball or, you know, get the attacker. But he, he does that a lot and, you know, completely unnecessarily. But like he'll, he's got weaknesses. He'll show it at least once or twice a game. So I, I think they're not getting a perfect guy, but they're getting a stopgap for at least a season, right? For eight million pounds, one season. Yeah. He's going to come in and start and be – and like I said, he, he's – gonna be at least one of your two most talented uh center backs on the team like as soon as he steps in so well that's what um, happens when you have socrates and mustafi on your team but yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> I don't he, disagree. Well, he basically he basically just you know pushes mustafi out well i mean out no 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 mustafi pushes himself out let's not well, get that sh- misconstrued technically yeah he already has kind of he pretty much already has pushed himself out yeah <laughs> yeah um so i so i think having louise is is gonna be good for them just to have someone that uh won't make as many mistakes as the other guys he got pretty much right um and yeah. i think he'll be important to those guys um those front three guys because also we saw in his season with conte um him playing a lot of balls in behind to guys like uh like pedro who are making runs behind to um hazard like he he's if you're making runs in behind he's great He's, he's also great for that, um, especially on this Arsenal team that's um, got so much pace up front and they're going to be pretty reliant on their speed and being able to break the lines, um, you know, with the players, you know, at least two players who are super fast, like uh, with Pepe and, um, and Aubameyang. So he's going to be great for those guys, 100%. He's going to be really good for those guys. Um, yeah, speaking yeah. Of, um, of Pepe, I mean – he finally made his move. I, I know we didn't fully get to talk about it after it was confirmed, but we talked about on one of the previous pods about how he was obviously rumored to come to Arsenal. 
um, where do you see his role? You know, how, what kind of performance do you think we're going to see from him? You know, I feel like he will generally be a, a success for Arsenal, but how do you think he, he steps into this lineup? Um, yeah. So, and I touched on it a little bit um, in the last episode, but I, I think he comes in and he's coming in off the right. He's a right wing. I think um, his strengths are dribbling in from the right. So, and and he came in at the end of their game against Newcastle, and that's where he started. That's where he came on. He was on the right wing, and you know you saw a little bit of his dribbling ability. Ability. Um, I think again, we you know those three. It's going to be really interesting to see how they mesh together. Um, because there are at least two of them, Aubameyang and Lacazette, are going to be fighting for like the same space. Um, not yeah, yeah, not fighting each other in the lineup, but like they're going to fight each other for the same space, and they're, they're going to have to work that out between the two of them, and, and also with Pepe as well. So I, I think he comes in, and you know, he was a, he was the best non PSG player last season, <laughs> like in in Ligue 1. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's not named Killing Mbappe. Yeah, especially. yeah, yeah. Like, and, and yeah, not just being the best non PSG player, but he was the second best player um, in Ligue 1 last season um, with. In t- especially in terms of combined goals and assists, 22 goals, 11 assists. Um, I know they said this weekend that he's the only player in Europe's top five leagues. So England, Spain, um, France, who are the other two? England, Spain, France, Germany, and uh, Italy. And he's only one of two players who had 20 goals and 10 assists last season. Do you know who the other one was? Don't, uh, without looking up anything. I'm not. I'm literally looking at us recording this. So wait, you said the only player to the say only player. He's one of two players last season in the okay. top five leagues with 20 goals and 10 assists. Is it? It's not messy, right? It's it has to be Mbappe. Only yeah. It's 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 actually him. Mbappe and Messi, my bad. It's they're three. Okay, it's him, Messi, and Mbappe. I'm happy that you said Messi, though. I was, gonna, yeah, I really I was like, you, I really wish you weren't going to say him because I was going. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, I want to sorry. One of three players. One of three players with 20 goals and 10 assists last season. So yeah, I was going to say, don't forget the goal. Or no, but, no, no, no. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, he's going to be. I think he'll be a success. Like it, he's very good at winning penalties and scoring them himself. So. Um, I think attacking wise, that's not that's not the thing that we're worried about with Arsenal. So I, I think he'll come in and, and think he'll come in and be effective for them. Um, it's we know we know what the question marks are with Arsenal. We and and that's where I think Dav Luiz helps with that, but he doesn't completely answer those questions. So yeah, yeah, we'll definitely see what kind of performance they they both have. I think I think it's important the the word that you use for Dav Luiz is stopgap really before um, Arsenal revamp their, their center back pairing because um, they're going to need better long-term center backs other than holding in chambers, in my opinion, uh, to compete in a top four spot. And granted, I'm not taking anything away from them. I think they're both decent center backs. I just don't think they're top four consistent center backs for the long term for Arsenal. And uh, I know our good friend Jay is probably going to message me right after he hears this, but that's, just my personal opinion on that. So, yeah, I, th- I think I think next season they, I mean, they'll they'll get a whole season to look at their guys, and I think next season they'll almost definitely 
spend a bit on uh, on the center back. So we'll see. For sure. For sure. Well, moving to the other team in red in England, to Manchester United, the Red Devils, picking up Harry Maguire after a long-awaited move from Leicester City for 80 million pounds, making him the highest or I guess the most expensive defender in history. Um, do you think that that price justifies his performances? So this is a, a big thing. Like people talking about the fee on Harry Maguire, which is really high, which I, none of us can deny. It's, it's he costed. Yes, we get it. He cost more than Van Dyke. You know, you have to look at circumstances and stuff there, obviously, because uh, think about, even Van Dyke at that time is was slightly overpriced because Liverpool got him in January. Like that, he wouldn't have been seventy five million pounds if they tried to get him in the summer. Whatever, right? But that's still eighty million pounds for Harry Maguire is super high. But when you step back, it's not crazy because even if Harry Maguire does not become a world class center back, even if he is at worst as good as he was at Leicester which was still pretty good and and like much, much better than whatever United had to uh, pair next to Victor Lindelof. You know, there's a reason that it's not that bad for, uh, for two, two reasons, really. Um, If he's as good as he was at Leicester, then the fee itself will amortize. Right. So like a lot of these teams don't take on, basically that means a lot of these teams don't take on that, fee in the year that it uh, it's like any counting principle so basically we'll cut up that fee into a number of years to keep it really short and not in pretty high level like it's not gonna be 80 millions up front or or the 80 million up front but like it's actually they look at it as we're paying for a salary and also this much of that fee for the next i think it's on a six-year contract so they're gonna look at it like over six years do they think that the price that they that um that his transfer fee and contract split into six years? Do they think that that will be worth it? So if it comes out to around like seventeen or eighteen million pounds a year, right? I think he's worth that, right? I think I think that's pretty much worth it when you look at the um depth that they have right now. Like it's it's Lindelof, it's uh, Maguire, and then we get really murky. With... Yeah, that's not depth. That's just it, we get really <laughs> murky. We get really murky because then you have Bai, who's okay, and also injured. Also injured, and then you have Rojo, who is not very good, and then you have Smalling and Phil Jones, and you know behind basically behind the guys that you saw start on Sunday, it's very average, right? Um, with, right. with Bayi possibly being like slightly above average, I'd say, but sure. Um, but, but you know they needed him. You know they desperately needed someone at his ability, and he's and he's twenty six. So you know that's a pretty good age. You know center backs play for a long time. <laughs> like yeah, John Terry was still playing last <clears throat> like last season. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, so you know you're thinking about that. You'll have him. Fully throughout his prime, right? You, you know, the next four years, next four to five years, basically his prime, and um, unless something crazy happens, like he's going to be on that team, um, yeah, and he's going to be your your talisman in terms of center backs. Um, 
So eighty million is a lot, but it's not. It, it, I really don't think it's that crazy when you think about desperation and um, and his ability, especially like his ability has to come into this. He's like we're going to see him a lot more now because he's not on Leicester. But if you didn't watch many Leicester games, or even if you could have watched like five Leicester games and you would have realized like he's great. He's good. Yeah. He's he's good. I think he's great. I think he's great. I really liked him when he was on Hull. He was, he's great. He can come out of the, he can play the ball out of the back line. He can, he's giving them something that they don't have. (laughs) Like (laughs) Lindelof can as well, but, but, when you talk about the combination of skill sets that Harry Maguire has, like I, I don't think it, it'll be that crazy for us to come to the end of the season and say that, wow, yeah, he was the second best. I think that he's the second best center back in England easily, like behind Van Dyke. I don't think that'll be crazy to say. I, I think he'll. I think he's better than John Stones, as we saw. From so you think he's season. better than Laporte too. I think that's conceivable that by the end of the season, we, I, I can make that argument. I, I could make the argument that right now, I think that he's close to as good as, I think he's as good. At, I think he's at least as good as Laporte, actually, right now. I would, I would say I think he's at least as good as Laporte. In terms of being a defender and what a defender means in sort of the more traditional role of, of defense rather than ball playing, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think Laporte is a better player of the ball. Um, but positionally, I think they're both really strong. Um, I just think that Maguire was the much more needed signing. Um, not that I'm comparing the two and, and when they were signed or anything. I'm just saying in the context of his signing this summer for United, he was, like you said, obviously extremely desperately needed um, for them to have a, a talisman and, and to have someone that can instill a mentality. I mean, after the, the Chelsea game, um, he was the one that was saying, you know, we want to make Old Trafford a, a place that's very, very difficult to score at, which it traditionally should always be. Um, and so I think that sort of mentality is also a strong part of his game. Um, and you see it in the way he plays as well. So I, I think United should be very happy with the signing, almost regardless of what the, the fee was, because 80 mil is a lot. But if it was 70 mil, people would still be saying the same thing. It still would have been a lot. But if he puts in good performances, no one's going to look at 70 versus 80. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's also, it's Manchester United. They're a publicly traded club. <laughs> this is like the, the fee is high for just about everyone, but not necessarily for them. Right. Right. Well, with that, I think we're going to take another quick break and then join us back here for an update on the Neymar Jr. situation, uh, which I definitely have a lot of thoughts on. And then we'll wrap up with Nabil Fakir going to Real Betis. All right. We are back on the pod with Rion and Elias, and I I have a lot I want to get off my chest today, Rion. I have I have a lot Ooh. I have a lot building up. Yeah, last last week or two has been uh it's been kind of rough. It's been kind of rough. Could this have something to do with a beautiful young caramelized Brazilian? Yeah, the uh the not so light skinned but light skinned guy over at PSG <laughs> um I want to talk about. Um Neymar Jr. If you're listening to this, or if you 
ever come across this podcast. Which she definitely is, obviously. He 100% is listening. He's actually subscribed, which you all yeah. should be as well. Um, yeah, he's our only Patreon. Um, <laughs> yeah, if he was our only Patreon. <laughs> he's our only Patreon subscriber. <laughs> the monthly fee for him yeah. is uh, is 4000 a month. He's at the God <laughs> tier for us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, if you are listening to this, Neymar, please don't come back to Barcelona. Please. Oh, wow, okay. Please and wow. Here, I, I, I have a lot I want to say about this, the but I'm gonna start with this. Son is not wanted. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not that I don't want him. But let me give a recap of the news, and then I will talk about why I don't want him to come back. So, in recent weeks, there's been more reports and more discussion that Neymar has, in fact, been coming closer to a move to Barcelona. And while all that has been happening, apparently, and I don't believe this for a second actually, but apparently Real Madrid are also now in the market for Neymar. Um, Here's why I don't believe that. I think this is 100% a ploy by PSG to get more money out of Barcelona, um, which I don't think should work because A, they don't really have any leverage. Neymar wants to leave regardless, and he has said he wants to leave to Barcelona, um, especially to PSG. Um, And to Real Madrid don't really need him either, right? They have Hazard. They just bought Jovic. They have Benzema. They, I guess, kind of have Bale, but not really. Then they also have Vinicius. So who do you take out of there to replace with Neymar? I'm not taking anything away from Neymar as a player. Neymar as a player at his best is the second best player in the world, in my opinion. I think he is an incredible talent and I hope his career gets back on track. But when you're talking about him coming back to Barcelona, I want no part in it. Here's why. Take a look at Barcelona's options up front. You obviously have Messi. You have Suarez. Just purchased Griezmann. Dembele. And still somehow Coutinho. That's five players already for three spots. Let's say you start with a forward line. And I'm just being hypothetical, a forward line of Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann, which is projected to be the most likely outcome for majority of the season. You are leaving one of the best young attackers on the bench already in Dembele, and you're leaving out a major signing in Felipe Coutinho. Add to that the fact that you want to bring in Neymar Jr., who is objectively a top three player in the world when he is healthy and when he is at his best. Then you are all of a sudden benching three of some of the world's best attackers, which is just not feasible for a team like Barcelona, which everyone wants to play. And on top of that, you're you're wasting away money. You're paying people to sit on the bench. And I understand depth is important, but you're paying some of the world's best players to quite literally do nothing. You're not going to get a lot of time. I mean, take, take a look at Malcolm, right? Malcolm went to Zenit in Russia for the exact same reason that I'm talking about now, that there wasn't enough playing time. And he, quite frankly, in my opinion, deserved better. But if you want to add Neymar to the mix, who are you going to take out? I don't want to take out Dembele. His ceiling is so high. You, I mean, I've watched him in preseason and he has just been immaculate. He's been so impressive. So when I hear that Neymar wants to come back to Barcelona and I hear that the Barcelona board want to bring him back to Barcelona, it drives me nuts. They don't even have the money to bring back Neymar. 
I get it that PSG don't have a lot of leverage and you can offer a player and maybe even two in that deal, but you still are going to have to fork up money. I, I, I'm done. I, I have nothing more that I would like to add other than the fact that this is too expensive. Barcelona don't have the money. I don't see how they finance it other than maybe bringing Nike into the mix and having them finance it somehow um, or doing an all-player swap, which is in, insanely difficult. But Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So you think there's no – do you think there's no possibility that – do you think there's a possibility that they do a swap, some kind of cash plus Coutinho swap? If they do a swap, it's going to be some – it could happen. I, I can see it happening for sure because this board, I, I would never put it past them. Um, but I would you be on? It's board not with smart. That? It, would you be on? So you wouldn't be on board with that. I would not be on board with a player swap. Personally, I want to sell Coutinho because while he hasn't been performing well, it it really isn't entirely his fault. I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's his position is not. He's not a left winger, he's which not, is pretty much not, yeah. Yeah, not at all. He's more of a 10, right? And guess who occupies that 10 space of Barcelona? Ha ha. So it's kind of hard. And, and I think Vidal, it's very difficult. Right? You're talking about... Vidal. No, I was I was talking about PK. Oh, okay. In the in the 10 spot. Uh, yeah. uh, I thought Paulinho, honestly. But he's not even on Dude, the Oh, bring, bring back Paulinho, man. Yeah, that'll give me another freaking hard tech. But yeah, no, I, I think it's tough for Coutinho. I think Coutinho will probably end up staying for the season just because there haven't been that many suitors. There's been a lot of rumors, but all those rumors are pretty much, in my opinion, all instigated by the board to try and spur up some sort of discussion about selling Coutinho. Um, And I just don't see someone coming in and buying him. But going back to Neymar, yeah, to answer your question, I, I would not approve of a deal for, for Neymar. And any here's, okay, you know what? Let me put it this way. Here's the only deal I would accept for Neymar. No money involved. Coutinho, Suarez, and Rakitic go the other way. That is the only situation, the literally the only one, which will never happen, that I will accept a deal for Neymar. Wow. Three players go and one come. That's great. That's just I'm just looking at transfer market. Um that their market value for those three players, Rakitic is 45. Coutinho, 102 million. This is all in US dollars. Yeah. 45, 102. Oh, that's like a $200 million value, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's pretty much where PSG yeah. value him, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you could argue those valuations are are different. And obviously, the, the currency exchange for I mean, two, two euros. Is isn't like that pretty like close to what they got him for? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, they got him yeah. for 220 um, euros, to be exact. So that would be wow. more dollars. Yeah. But if there's a devaluation of say 40 million euros um they, they better take it because they they don't really have much room to to wiggle with in fact today i saw that psg took or maybe they didn't take it down but they didn't put up any neymar gear in their official fan store and um that's just another reason to believe he's on his way out so i'm i'm scared that he actually might end up coming this is um, crazy i mean uh, just just a couple things for me i one I did not know Dembele is 22. I would have, if you would have asked me, I would have said he's still 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's 22. So he has to be playing. Like, exactly. This is like, consistently. This is pretty much. Yeah. This is, this is a season he's to figure out if he's going to, if he has a future with this team, which, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which, which 
if no one comes in, then yes, he definitely does because the ages, there'll be space. <laughs> yeah, there'll be space to ages of the people in front of him. You know, whatever. Um, so he'll, yeah, he'll Suarez isn't getting any younger. Um, but yeah, and then I, this is so weird. Like this is Neymar being um, Neymar being at this unbelievable uh, situation as undoubtedly one of the three or four best players in the world yet has nowhere to go. That seems, mm-hmm. it, it seems you couldn't have guessed that in any era <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of soccer. And it's purely because of the money, because of mm-hmm. the sheer, because of the money that he went for, not even necessarily because of what he's valued at now. The reason he's valued at what he is now is because of how much he went for in the first place. Like yeah. it's this is this is just like a consequence of the money that of like the massively inflated transfer fees and the money that's in the game in general, which PSG totally has like eighty to eighty not eighty percent, but at least when you're talking about recently the last four years, you know, them the Neymar transfer is what absolutely blew up the transfer market and made everything ballooned way more, it, yeah right so this is their fault this is their <laughs> fault like this is yeah like hey i mean if you, if you want to i mean sure people can go back and say oh this is originally chelsea and abramovich's fault for starting this you know whatever sure you can say that but this is like the reason that the that this is an impossible move now this is right. literally an impossible move like granted um chelsea did get torres for like 50 million pounds but they were at least able to move him on at some point like, yeah you know, like it's he like, had a market yeah like and he wasn't even very good <laughs> he wasn't good by time they, like, <laughs> like, like, like if they wanted to get rid of torres in like two years they could have found someone not for the same for sure. price but like this when you go and get a player for like 240 million us like it's he has to stay you he has to stay with you for at least like four years, really. Like, really. Oh, easily. He has to be with you at least four years for it to be worth it and for like it to be viable um, to have suitors. And because you're not just talking about Neymar's wages, which um, which which also, are which, sky high, which is which was inflated in purely by PSG as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, you're not just talking about that. You're talking about the transfer fee now going back. Like they're they obviously are not going to take anything <laughs> much lower than I than like 180 million dollars. I say at least. Like if we're talking mm-hmm. about 240 million US to get him, like we got to be talking a fee to go for him to go anywhere else of like 180 million. I'd say at least. And that can only be a fee that's recognized with a player swap being involved, which is even more difficult because then if say Coutinho is the main player that you might want to give away to PSG in exchange, where does PSG value Coutinho or how much does do they value him at? Right. It might be different from what Barcelona value them, value him at. So that in itself creates this whole issue, which is why I really hope this doesn't end up panning out. But honestly, the exact way that I can see the rest of the summer going is we get to a point and it's the last week of the transfer window and PSG have to cave because they have supporters and they have ultras in the stand chanting Kiko de puta yeah, in they're, the they're, middle they're of a out game. Of in, the, in the first game of the season. Like, exactly. Like they were out of the first game of the season. He's not even on the pitch. Like, it's 
he can't stay after that. Yeah. He just cannot. So uh, my prediction is that has changed now from what it was three weeks ago. I think he ends up coming, but I will not be happy at all. You don't want it to happen. I I don't want it to happen. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see a situation in which he can stay at PSG. I don't think he goes to Real Madrid because they don't really need him. Um, But if they do take him from Barcelona, I will be forever grateful. (laughs) But that's that's just my two cents. Well, this man will will basically be the dominating – um, transfer headline for the next couple weeks. Uh, yeah. But on a little lighter note, you wanted to talk a little bit about, about um, Los Celso's replacement at Real Betis? Yeah, I want to, first off, I want to take a deep breath after <laughs> that whole rant because that, that took a lot of energy. Um, thank you for being my therapist through that one because I needed that. Of course. Um, but I do want to talk about Nabil Fakir um, making a move from Leon to Real Betis. And um, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the pod, but he is essentially a direct replacement for Lo Celso, And I think he's a very good one. Um, and I think the reason why he's really important um, as well is for, forget about the fact that last summer he almost went to Liverpool for about 60, 65 million. Yeah. The price um, that he's going for now, like he almost goes to Liverpool. And then I think they realized that he has a, bit of a uh injury history like his he has some problems like his knees and stuff and then they back and you know i think both sides back out so exactly yeah so i think they definitely had um liverpool had some concerns granted they had (laughs) concerns very late on in that transfer yeah um but i i understand their concerns so his his value dropped to 20 million euros but for a player of his quality in this current market i mean we're just talking about how expensive someone like neymar is but for a player of his quality 20 million euros is a steal i think even if you were any top team in europe i think you would be going or any other team would be in for for nabil fakir at 20 million euros um the one thing that i do think is interesting is that he did have a good season at leon um and Going from Leon to Real Betis, while it's not, I'm hesitant to say it's a step down because I don't think it is, but you go from being one of the top teams in, in France, right, playing European football to a team that's sort of getting almost there to the Europa League, almost, they're, they're a team of great quality and I and I highly rate them, especially when Setien was their manager, but, um, and I do think their their new manager is is just as good and just qualified. But my, my point is, if you're Nabil Fakir, how do you respond now this season? I think this season is really important for him to to turn around and say, okay, regardless of the injury history, regardless of my price or my devaluation, I still want to have the mentality to go out and play like a top player that I was. You're right. Two seasons ago, he was well into the double digits for goals and assists at um, at Lyon, and while he did score nine goals and have seven assists in Liga this past season. It, it, there was sort of this feeling that he wasn't the player he once was. So I personally want to see him regain that confidence and I want to see him put in the performances that he, I know that he can put in. Um, and especially because he will essentially be replacing Giovanni Lo Celso in that sort of attacking midfield role. So I ha- I have high aspirations for him and I wish him the best. Um, I just hope that it, it works out that way. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I, I'm, I have not, he was great last season um, in the Champions League against City when yeah. Leon went and beat City at um, at the Etihad. He was he was 
arguably their best. He was the best player in that game. He was him and, him and, yeah, him and Dembele. Scored, right? Him and Dembele were great in that game, um, but he scored in that game. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. So, you know, the, the talents there that that price seems really good considering yeah. um, the talent and considering what he was being priced at the season before. So, right, and and it goes back to what you're saying about how the market, <clears throat> excuse me, fluctuates right between you hearing one thing and possibly it being another with in terms of injuries or in terms of wages, you know, just so many factors. And I think 20 mil is, is a great price for any player of his quality. So I wish him the best that um, Batiste and I will definitely be watching him. Um, and I hope he succeeds. We'll be one to keep an eye on for the season for sure. For sure. Well, with that, that wraps up our transfer roundup for the pretty much rest of the summer. We'll see what happens the remaining couple of weeks, but there isn't too much time left to go. Like we said, the transfer deadline for the rest of Europe is September 2nd. So keep that date on your calendars and we will see what happens between now and then. So with that, I'm Elias here with Rian signing off. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks guys. Mm-hmm.